The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, I love it in Flint. You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Show me the 
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is an internationally multi-best-selling sci-fi fantasy author with uh, a new book. Um, It's going to be kind of interesting because the new book is in some ways connected to the old book, but uh, yet it's book one. It's uh, from Michael Anderley, who joins me by phone. The book is called How to Be a Badass Vigilante, book one. And Michael joins me by phone. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Very pleased to be here. Um, this is the first time I've, I've ever heard of this. You had a book called How to Be a Badass Witch. And mm-hmm. then now you have uh, book one of How to Be a Badass Vigilante, 
which I imagine is the first in a, a series, or or is it a continuation of a series? Because the character reads the book "How to Be a Badass Witch" and learns how to how to uh, conquer magic. Yeah, that's correct. It, it it really is. Think of it as the three phases of her growing. So the first one, to your point. When she reads, a, you know, how to be a how to be a witch type of book off of Amazon, kind of as a lark to upset her mom, and uh, it, it works for her, strangely enough. And then, so during that first three, you know, she has to overcome just the reality of, of what's going on in her life, and she tries to go out and do good. The problem is she kind of gets messed up with all sorts of different people when she's trying to do uh, to do good for everything. And then, you know, at the at the end of that series, she's effectively, you know capable and she makes the decision that if i'm going to do good i'm going to just go in and be a vigilante because there's just too much red tape and you know who's going to be able to believe that a, that a person can actually throw magic around and so she becomes a vigilante and then we follow her through her experiences on becoming this and taking over this role and the issues that happen both with her relationship with her boyfriend and everything else that gets involved in this and finally she has to mature to the point to realize that you know, working outside of any bounds with society is challenging, and then she will move into a third phase: how to be a badass detective. Well, the um, now this uh, vigilante uh, phase. Mm-hmm. Well, first let me let me let me ask you this: um, is, is there a targeted age group for these books that that typically follow uh, sci-fi fantasy? You, it, it, well, in general, I would say, you know, digital sci-fi, especially science fiction more so than fantasy, you're going to find a little bit older. You're going to find people who really gravitate toward um, technology a little bit quicker. But uh, in the fantasy, urban fantasy, which is definitely urban fantasy, it's going to be predominantly female. And even then, you're going to have either individuals who, um, you know, relatively young, late teens, and then they're going to skip their 20s for a large part, not to say it's not there, and then you're going to catch them up again in like early 30s. Well, so pe- people from that are, perspective. Well, Michael, people are busy in their 20s learning magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if I could, uh, if I could just, uh, you remember the uh, the you know how to learn how to be a plumber in 24 hours, how to be a politician in 24, all of those yeah. things, right? And that's where the kind of the concept of this one is like, hey, I loved those branding. You know, because I, I knew that brand, so I just thought, what about how to be a badass? You can make <laughs> it a witch, a vigilante, a druid, uh, anything, you know. And so that's kind of how this, this started in this, you know, Kira. Um, she's graduated college. She's uh, working a bar. She's on the West Coast. Her mom, who is far enough away as Kira to get her, is on the East Coast, bugging her to do something with the fact that she was uh, graduated in, you know, like, computer programming and stuff. And Kira really doesn't like it. She's good, doesn't like it. And so that's how we opened up, you know, the relationship with her. And then as she's able to do something in society that other people can't, but it comes with repercussions. And so I feel like, you know, that the main character has graduated college. You're talking young 20s yeah. is where the character is. And going through not only the issues, but also, you know, a bit of, a bit of society. How does she help other people when that has a ramification on her own? Because she can kill herself with this if she doesn't understand it well enough. And then, unfortunately, of course, there's the, the political issues with those that understood how to wield this power for the centuries. 
and they are uh, not really too keen on people being unfettered access to this, even though they kind of made the choice in the beginning to try to see, does anyone else, can they do it? You know, in in some ways, uh, when you look at this at first glance, uh, you know, I, I, I can't help wondering, well, if, if she has uh, attained magic, why can't she just make the problems go away? Why can't? Why is she tending bar? Why? Why isn't she independently wealthy? And that, that leads <laughs> to the, that leads to the question: um, When you're creating a world that you know has a certain amount of um, fantasy to it, how do you establish the rules so it isn't that easy? It's similar to a lot of things. You've heard the the thing is 10,000 hours to become proficient with anything. What happens if you find out you can throw a fireball and then just throw it, and then what happens? Well, you don't have any control, so that fireball just hit your curtains that just blew up your room. You just destroyed your house. So you always, with anything of power, have to come at it, and then what about the amount of, of power it takes from you? Um, it would be like making me go and run you know, a marathon right now, I would not make it. <laughs> if you forced me to yeah. do it any sort of decent time, I'm not prepared. I don't have the capability of doing it. And that's just a, 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 the same situation that we've applied here. Just because you can, or at least you think you understand, what if you get the recipe just a little wrong? For example, when I was younger, I loved to cook. And I, uh, I was doing a soup one time. And I didn't pay any attention. And I didn't realize what, you know, the, the letters for teaspoon, and I'd put in tablespoon of salt. Bit of a mistake there. And that's the same thing that we show here in, in this book is, you know, even though it explains how to do something, if you do it just a little wrong, you can get a really nasty surprise. Interesting. Uh, now, in addition to being a writer, you're also a publisher as well, Michael. Um what drew you in that direction? Is that something that grew out of uh, being self-published initially and then deciding to make yourself available to teach other people how to do it? Uh, well, I, a couple of different things. For me, I always wanted to have a business, and I tried and failed a lot of businesses. And, you know, I started writing professionally and, and releasing it in, like around 47 years old. So I had had a lot of opportunities where I learned what wasn't working, and when I just um, and, I, and I often talk about it as, as being a bucket list item. I've read thousands of books in my lifetime. I love reading. Bucket list item: do something that you'd like. And so half for me, and half for uh, our oldest son, who was incredibly talented. I thought I'll just go do some of my own fiction books. I'll be able to tell Joshua how to do it. Plus, you know, something happens. I ended up becoming very successful doing that, but the LMVPN publishing was always about being an entertainment company. And so even from the beginning, even when we had one published author myself, I always wanted to be a publishing company. And so, you know, as opportunities presented itself, as, as fans were like, what about this person's story? What about that person's story? Sometimes I knew I would never get to those stories, and sometimes I knew I never wanted to write those stories. And so, you know, I, I offered other people to come into my already successful universe where we're going to get sales and provide for what the fans wanted, those stories that they wanted, and it has grown since then. More about how to be a badass with uh, author and publisher Michael Anderley straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Bodie. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about how to be a badass with uh, author and publisher Michael Anderley straight ahead. The idea of having, uh, of creating a world, and then there are all these different stories. Are you talking about characters that pop up in the how to be a badass books? Well, in this case, um, the one we're specifically talking about was back in like 2015, 16, okay. uh, the Crithirian Gambit. Okay. And and so that was, I mean, we, we've done hundreds of books since then. And so, you know, here in How to Be a Badass, my intent in creating this was just that, how to create a branded set of stories that didn't necessarily have to exist in the same world. They had the same concept. And that is somebody who's learning how to be something badass. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know, um, what's, what's the one superhero high or something? There's a movie where the, the offspring of superheroes are all going to the same high school. Oh, okay, yeah, superhero high. I have yeah. heard of that, at least on the book side of things. And I think they have a, a definitive, like, you know, the villain high as well for all the supervillain heroes. Uh, similar, I guess you could say yes, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a, a lot of opportunity for us to create areas of interest for readers and find out whether or not, you know, does it really appeal to anyone. Now, when you talk about publishing hundreds of books, um, mm-hmm. how, how many of those are by you? Um, there are th- three types that have my name on those that I've written, those that I've collaborated on where you're going to see some author in front of me or something called like a created by. And you can think the created by is very similar to a TV series where there's a bunch of us that are doing it, but I generally speaking have created the concepts and the characters. And then, you know, over time we've built a significant team at LMBPN publishing and are able to produce quite a bit of content. Um, I kind of coined a term called a whale reader, and I, I took it because we lived in in Vegas, or we were visiting a lot of Vegas uh, early on, and now live here. And it's those, you know, the, the whale gamblers, right? Those that are eighty percent of the size and of everybody else. And so from that, it's I said, okay, well, according to statistics, and they kind of have, you know, statistics. Uh, what do they call them? It's like uh, you can have um, lies, damn lies, and then come statistics. Right. But they say, you know, a person reads somewhere between one and four books a year. Well, I was a whale reader. I was someone who's reading three books a weekend. So I kind of like, what is it that I wanted to produce? And it's like, I didn't care about a series until three books were out. So I wrote the first series, and I put the first three books out in the first month, and then basically ran a book a month for a few more months. And so I hit the whale reader who's like, good, give it to me. And you think about it, that model is very similar to what Netflix has been doing now, where they just drop a whole season and people binge. Right. And so right. it just so happened that there was an unmet need in the market that I was going after, and that unmet need was someone similar to myself. Well, this, this is fascinating because, you know, I talk to a lot of writers, and they're taking a year, sometimes two years, and in some cases several years to complete a book. Um, now they might be working mm-hmm. on other projects at the at the same time, but um, mm-hmm. but even the full time writers are are taking to a year to cycle a book, and you're knocking them out in a month. 
Yeah, so, I mean, let's go back to the first one. I was in a very unique position in the beginning. So my wife was the breadwinner of the household. I was bringing in a significant amount of money, but my company worked from home. And it just so happened to be that the, my main client at the time was going through a issue internally. And so they didn't have anything for me to do for 60 days. And I felt that if I really wanted to do this author thing, I needed to be able to put out, once again, at least three books. So I did the first book, understood how to do it. And the second book I wrote and released in like about nine days. And the third book I wrote and released in about 11 days. And these are about sixty-five to 70,000 word books in that area. And so I was just completely focused on getting them out quickly so that I could advertise. And then uh, when the fourth one came out, well, Amazon did some algorithm support because they could see that a, a um, thing was growing, and then I started doing Facebook to help push it as well. And so it, it isn't there. I am not a firm believer that, that uh, quality is dependent on amount of time working on a project, nor am I a believer that speed means that you uh, will write a good book. It, it depends on what kind of genre you're talking about it. The easiest way to say it is a literary book, one where the nuances of the words and the sound and the mind take longer. You're crafting something that's completely different. In our books, we're here for the emotional dopamine hits of the characters and the stories that are going on. And a lot of times, that actually comes out of the, the dialogue. When people are going back and talking back and forth, that's natural. If, you know, in my case, I was almost 50 years old, 47 years old when I was doing this, you already have that. You know how those feelings go. You've been in discussions with people where just their words have just wrenched you in a good way or a bad way. And so there's not a lot of requirement to think if you already have that in your heart when you're typing. So you're finding an audience and meeting the need of an audience that's somewhere between comic books and the great American novel. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's Pulp Fiction. Think about it. I mean, Pulp Fiction, it, it, you, we could have a whole on it. There was an article, and I think it's Publishers Weekly a couple of weeks ago, about a gentleman who was a publisher in Spain. So they were coming out in Spanish. And one of his quotes that I, I really thought I liked, which I'm about to butcher, was effectively, you're either damned to write an amazing book or you're damned to make money, one of the two. And so that argument has been you know, promulgated all the way across, but here's what I would suggest to that. I've created stories where people are so engaged with the characters that they, make, that they named their baby after the main character. I tend to think that's somebody who is engaged with the story. Is that not a sign of quality? They wrote, sure. reread the whole series between, they, if I had six books out, they reread the series for each book. And at this time, I'm releasing them 28 to 35 days apart. Is that not the example of a quality story? Sure. Well, of course. But, Michael, how are, how are you writing that fast? Do you just walk around with a recording device, just, just <laughs> narrating oh, books? You know, see, so one of the things that's interesting is I was a programmer for many, oh, goodness, 20-plus years of my life. I've written hundreds of thousands of lines of code, which isn't the same as writing a book, but the, the piece that I'm bringing out of this is I was logical. I already understood. So I would create what I call beats. In fact, those beats are actually called by many. 
but it's like the heartbeat. I'm only piecing together, telling you what's the main piece. Bethany Ann, or in this case, Kira, has a discussion with her mom. She goes online to get some business books related to, you know, creating her own company, get her mom off her back. And on a lark, sees how to be a badass witch, right? Mm -hmm. On a lark, how to do magic. So she grabs it, you know, just kind of still mad about her mom and, you know, that little poke that, that we all get from one of her parents often. And so... That's I was all I have to uh, Michael. I was a musician for years, and I used to hear it all the time. When are you going to get a real job? <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But well, okay. So let's take that. We're going <laughs> to. When are you going to get a real job? What does that mean? When are you going to get something where you can depend on the income? Usually, I mean that's kind of what it means, right? Yeah. When are you going to get something? Or I often see, as having helped many authors in the past, now I often see that other people push onto you as being a musician and a creative and they can't do it that they're like would you stop doing something i can't do so i can feel better about myself not saying that's always the reason but i'm saying that i've seen it enough to realize people are saying that at times can can you teach creativity <sighs> um you can define it a little better you can help people understand what it is. But there are some individuals who personality or whatever um, are individuals who look behind them. They look at the pieces of how puzzles were, and they can create something from that. Does that make sense? They can refine something they see. So in the case of someone who typically is not, quote, unquote, I can't think of a story, I could actually go and say, did you realize that if you went and studied Jane Eyre, or any of these other, Jane Austen, um, if you went and studied Jane Austen, you, if you recreated that story that she created, that in itself is a new creation. And that's the hardest person to do. Then you have the individual who walks down the street and looks at a cop car and goes, oh, here's a story about why that cop car is there. Their brain shoves it into them. Their biggest challenge is sitting on any one idea and bringing it to fruition. So I think you can create or support people in creativity. However, the ability to actually get it through to fruition and being willing to what I call push the button and publish it, that's just as hard as making someone get up at 6 a.m. in the morning to get and do something that they claim they love versus just sleeping in and watching TV. Now, the way you're putting these stories out um, for the whale reader, um, to what degree do the whale readers become participants in the process beyond reading the, the content? It depends on the series and how much we're letting them know as we're doing it. Since, for right now, Amazon is a just behemoth, right, in the publishing sure. area, and from that situation occurs very algorithmically. And so Jeff Bezos has, is very fond of saying, look, you know, we're not going to scale anything that we can't effectively scale without people. So you put computers and processes in place. An algorithm, an algorithm suggestions is an offset of, of human curation. Humans looking through it going, these are really great books. And the algorithm is going through it and making a decision based on sales and interest. These are really great books. One you can scale, the other one not so much. Because of what's going on in the Amazon algorithms, we have learned over time and hundreds of efforts 
in the meantime, because we have over a thousand titles now in, in a little over five years. We'll be six years old in November. And so from that, we've learned that sometimes it's best for us to put these books on the shelf and let them sit there until we have enough of them that we can hit the algorithms or give a really good shot toward the algorithms. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, but I can't help wondering, putting out that much content and that quickly, um, and, and, and to put this, in, this question in context, you know, I, I see a lot of stories, uh, you know, I, especially this last year and a half with the, you know, stay-at-home requirements of the living through a pandemic and all of the binge-watching I've done of Netflix and Hulu and all of that. Um, but mm -hmm. But I regularly see stories that are either remakes of previous stories or just um, have have blatantly copied another story and how do you how do you keep coming up with fresh content when you're putting out this much and this fast well in the in the beginning my mom talked to me about four years ago and I, this is somewhere like my first year and I've put out eight or nine stories, and, and her question was, you know, what if, and she's talking to my brother in this case, so I'm getting this story from my brother, and I just don't know when he, you know, when he runs out of his stories, and at that time, I was a bit cocky, and I'm thinking to myself, run out of stories? How am I going to run out of stories? They just throw themselves at me. Well, I, I hit that a couple of years later, and what I found out is like, look, it's the same thing that Stephen King says, which is you have to refill the well was his metaphor. You have to keep reading. You have to keep absorbing. You have to keep giving little snippets of information to your subconscious who will then put two and two together and maybe grab from this book over here or grab from that story. Or you see somebody, in my case, that the whole story about seeing the cops, I, that happened to me. I was in New York. I was walking along the street because we were the bus there, and I'm seeing these cop things along the side and how they wrote, and that created a concept for me. Or uh, yesterday... I think there was a situation where I was going through, and in a particular article I'm reading, they're taking little snippets. Now, these are humans, quote-unquote, talking to each other. And I, I wrapped it around and said, well, what would happen if I put that into a paranormal situation? And then that causes the creativity to go, well, this is what would happen, and this is what would happen, and so on and so forth. Um, other times, what I did is like, okay, well, I don't particularly watch a lot of television or movies. And so I don't have a large well. I'm not watching this stuff each night. And I used to read a lot, thousands of books. I don't read much anymore except the stuff we're producing. So I decided to go try comic books. And I went to the store and I, I made their day because I bought 150 bucks worth of comic books and started going through them. <laughs> not so much always just to say, hey, what's the story? That's a but big day. An Michael, that's a big day in a comic book store. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it a few times since then. And part of it is because, once again, I want an entertainment company, not just a publishing company, but publishing from a standpoint of cost and expense is one of the leanest companies you can own. If you are digitally focused. If you're paper focused and if you try to go through bookstores, it's a completely different conversation. But in my case, when I went there, I was just going and I would ask the person, just what's good? I really don't know and I don't want a Superman. I don't want Batman. What else is out there? He gave me one called Man of War. I think it was Man of War that this was under. 
and it was one of these bigger books, and it was really kind of cool. But I'm flipping through it, flipping, flipping, flipping. And Man of War is a sci-fi futuristic, but it has, you know, stuff in the past. And so I happened to see one picture, and it was this massive dinosaur going, you know, kind of stomping on this city. I don't even remember what the story was about, because I just yeah. can't. But the whole concept of a dinosaur stomping on a city was enough to add to something else I was working on. And the zoo concept came up. And I'm like, okay, because I already had that. What would happen if aliens were flying through our solar system? They see Earth. They see the pollution. They see from a distance the crap that man does. And then like the wrath of Khan and the whole Genesis, yeah. um, I think it's called the Genesis Project, they throw a Genesis missile at Earth. And they're like, yeah, we'll come back in a couple hundred years. This will be a great planet because it will destroy everything. And then mankind grabs hold of that missile. And inside, they grab this goop that can rejigger Earth, the planet, and it can take a desert, like the Sahara Desert or something, and actually make it lush and create new chemicals and even new fauna and flora and other things, and it becomes the Garden of Eden with monsters that want to eat you. <laughs> now what do we do? And that became the zoo universe. And, but that's some idea of how a snippet from a comic book plus a movie I saw 20 years ago and an existing con uh, thought that I want to write something sci-fi, I don't want it to be in other planets. I want it to be based here on Earth. And I wanted to have questions about what would mankind do? Would they destroy the Garden of Eden? And I'm cynical, and I go, not if there's money involved, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you, you, mentioned, you mentioned Stephen King, and he gave one of the, the best answers I ever heard uh, in an interview. Um, and and I, it, it wasn't mine, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> someone asked him uh, if he wrote to a schedule or to the muse. And he said, oh, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. Yes. And I think he, uh, the, one of the pieces I like is this is way earlier in G.R.R. Martin and Stephen King are on a stage. And they ask Stephen King, how much do you, or how, no, they ask, I think, G.R.R. Martin first, how much do you write a day? And he's like, 500 words. And Stephen King kind of looks at him. He's like, well, how much do you write? And he's like, 2,000 and I heard later he's, you know, he started pushing 3,000, which for trade publications is way outside. Honestly, a lot of times the understanding needs to be the reason people did a book a year had a lot more to do with the machinations of how do you sell through bookstores. You have to go from the people who buy it to market it to the salespeople. Twice a year, those salespeople go to the bookstores in all of their areas they have to pitch the bookstores, and that takes six months. Yeah, plus so, you know, plus you the go. the editing and layout and all of the things that go into uh, publishing mm -hmm. for for hard copy prints. Um, mm -hmm. I can't but believe how factor. fast I can't <laughs> believe how fast the time is going talking with you, Michael. And I want to make sure, as I do with all my guests, to give you an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find your your books and your uh, your projects because it sounds to me like you're kind of in a world of your own how how do people find out more about you and your work past present and future the easiest place is on our publishing website which is and I'm going to give you five letters and I'll tell you what they are and what they stand for the first one is L for Larry 
And you know what? Let me switch it to L for London, M for Milan, B for Barcelona, P for Paris, and N for New York, which originally meant the five fashion capitals of the world. Uh, and we switched it in one of the cities to the top, you know, five publishing cities of the world. So lmbpn.com. You'll find myself and all of the other people that are part of the company and that, you know, we publish all there. And then uh, eventually I'll actually have a lot more of my own stuff. I have a few things social, but everything's been focused on building the company. So I personally don't have like a, a big social footprint. Now, the, the, um, the book is called How to Be a Badass Vigilante, Book One by Michael Anderley. And Michael, what, is, what does it mean, Book One? It is this, you can go into that book and start the series and start the characters right there. It's very similar to like, you know, you don't have to go back to the very first Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes. You could start in the middle. There will be some information to catch you up right away. If you'd like to see where she kind of came from, you can go to How to Be a Badass Witch. And you could even if you, you know, but if you prefer good old vigilante stories, start right there. Well, this is uh, this is fascinating. I'm I'm tempted to ask what's next, but I have a feeling that it's a long list. <laughs> uh, it, it could be, yes, it, it could be. Well, Michael, thank you so much for uh, spending a little time with me this morning to uh, talk about this book and um, and and the whole process. Thank you. I appreciate it, Tom. Well, Michael, take care and keep up the good work. Likewise. All right. Love listening to you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. That was Michael Anderley. He is uh, the author of How to Be a Badass Vigilante, Book One. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well, then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until july a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm and if you got a better <coughs> now back in 1918 influenza had its run but half the docks were busy overseas with world war one today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away super damn important that we practice isolation because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation it's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it then we're all gonna die if we don't do it then we're all gonna die and so i hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart because it's already scary and we're only at the start if you get bored just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized oh super bad transmittable contagious awful virus if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine the last until july a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Hey, <laughs> this is the unknown comic, 
And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Today. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. 
More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. No woman to love 
talking about sunshine, better than sunshine, better than moonshine, damn sure better than the Let your soul shine Let it shine on Till the break of day Talking about sunshine, better than sunshine, better than moonshine, damn sure better than the rain. Your people don't mind, we all feel this way sometimes. You got to let your soul shine, let it shine up till the break of day.
your new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. But what an interesting... Uh, group of guests we had today we ended up with a little music from the root doctor a little soul shine uh, this uh, third hour we talked with uh, author and publisher michael anderley talking about his book how to be a badass vigilante and his whole publishing process and how that all works fascinating uh, conversation during the second hour uh, with um, the uh, UNESCO Chair on Genocide Prevention and author of It Can Happen Here, White Power and the Rising Threat of Genocide in the U.S. And that was uh, author Alexander Hinton. What a fabulous conversation from Rutgers. And uh, we started out this morning with uh, a guy who is uh, kind of an expert in uh, remote work, running companies remotely and uh, digging up remote talent for businesses. Uh, he's the CEO of Distant Job Remote Placement Agency and the author of a book called Surviving Remote Work. His name is Sharon Koifman and thank you to all of my guests and to everybody who tuned in and uh, gave us a listen today. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. Starting out uh, first hour with uh, economist Chris Douglas from the University of Michigan Flint and uh, we'll get an update on the economy and what's happening as uh, we begin to pull out of pandemic mode and that'll be followed up by our weekly edition of Armchair Politics featuring our roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right. Anyway, join us uh, tomorrow. In the meantime good night everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.